The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, show number 646 for February 26, 2017. <laughs> And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We share it all. The goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least four new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Fat Cat Software with Power Photos at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. They've got a discount for you and everything. We'll talk about that shortly here. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here... In Fairfield, Connecticut, where I do recall in a recent episode learning a whole lot about cable modems and whatnot, but um, uh, this is John F. Braun, but here in balmy Durham, New Hampshire, it's Pilot Pete. Thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks yeah. for uh, thanks for thanks for coming. It's yeah. it's been too long to get yeah, the band back it together. Has. Well, you yeah. shouldn't suspend What'd me for so long. Yeah, this time well, you know, <laughs> look, you know what you did. Yeah, well, uh, we won't talk about that. <laughs> I learned my lesson. <laughs> oh, it's great to have you, man. Thanks. Good stuff. I almost said so twenty sixteen. You, you've been piloting. I have you've been, been piloting, I've, helping helping drive pilot here, uh, pilot there, international commerce, and uh, yeah, bringing all your right rubber dog uh, doo doo from Hong Kong. And uh, amongst other things, hey, saw that line. In the, that's right. You know, I saw that line in the movie, and never dreamed I'd be doing it, and dreamed even less how lucrative it could be. So it's been a good career. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I'm like glad so, that you're back I'm because that's be a back. good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's dive in here. We've got we've got quite a bit of stuff. We're going to talk about UPSs today uh, because we said we were going to. But let's get uh, let's get a couple of other things done first here. The first is a cool stuff found from listener Graham. And if I could ever get my cursor where it's supposed to be, I could actually tell you about it. So Graham writes, he says a couple of months behind my podcast listing, but I'm not sure if you've seen this. And it's something called consolation. Um, It's a tool for browsing your Mac's logs. He says, The guy, Howard Oakley, seems to have put in a serious amount of time into creating a usable tool for interrogating the Sierra logging system, primarily for time machine backup info. But for a geek user, it has some good configurability. Uh, He says, I'll have to add this to my USB drive of useful tools to deploy onto client Macs. Very frustrating that Sierra console has been emasculated from seeing all messages in an attempt to make it simpler. But maybe you know of something better. I don't. Um, This actually sounds fantastic. Really, really stoked about uh, about this. So consolation. Did you check it out, John? Yes, I did. And I actually have some I, I found somewhere. So. It's nice that a tool like this came along because uh, lacking that, Dave, what I have here is in my notepad that I share among my uh, or notes. Um, I actually have the text of the different invocations that you have to do from the terminal to see what used to be easy to do on console, but now is is uh, nay impossible. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And it's a variation of the log stream command. But what this does is wraps it up in a nice GUI, which we all love, rather than typing at the the terminal. So, yeah, I'll have to. Uh, the, I'll give it a whirl, but I am aware of it. And uh, you know, shame on Apple for breaking console. It's like you know, it was working fine before when I could. 
<laughs> Find what I needed. I mean, you, yeah, like exactly. Yeah. I get it. Consolation. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> cool stuff. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Graham. Cool. Uh, listener Paul has uh, another cool thing that he found that uh, some of you may already know, but he said, I found out by accident when I went to the grocery store to buy groceries. Uh, when I went to the checkout, I realized that I didn't have my phone with me. I normally use Apple Pay at the grocery store. I had my Apple Watch on and it was set up for Apple Pay already. So I figured I would try using it. Worst case, I had my debit card with me. Lo and behold, the Apple Watch worked. So your Apple Watch does not need to be actively connected to your iPhone for Apple Pay to work with it. And that's true. One of the one of the benefits of Apple Pay is that you don't need a data connection for it to work. You're, the merchant needs a data connection for it to work, of course, but you do not. And so that's a that's a nice little. Is that a series one and series two? Then? Or just yeah. series two? Yeah, yeah, no, I'll, yeah I'll, I'll watch this. Yeah, okay. uh, you have to set it up on it first. Right, which of I've course done requires that with mine, and I, right. but I just didn't never thought about series one being able to do that. With it. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. But yeah, it's cool. good stuff. I know. That's why they call it cool stuff. That's why they do. Um, in the not so cool stuff found category, uh, listener Jay and actually David from last week who suggested this initially points out that uh, while Plex Cloud used to work on Amazon Drive, it no longer does uh, as of December 31st. So sadly, that particular use case of Plex Cloud doesn't work, but Plex Cloud in general does. It's just they had some compatibility issues with Amazon or whatever it was, but you can still use it with with several others. Um, so. Uh, I, I think uh, Dropbox works with it, and uh, I think you get you get BoxNet too. There, there's a couple. It's worth going to Plex Cloud and, and checking it out. We'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. So thanks for thanks for the correction and the heads up on that. Good stuff. I want to take a little tangent, Dave, because we've seen questions about this. So I'd, I'd like to ask our beloved listeners for feedback on this. Yep. But speaking of Apple Pay, we we did have a few questions here and there talking about how well, if at all. Does Apple Pay work if you try to do it on your Mac from your phone? The Ask that question again. Um, we've had a few people write in saying they can't, and I think you even confirmed this, but uh, so supposedly you can use Apple Pay on your iDevice and link to it from the Mac and that certain oh. web pages are engineered yes, so far, with yes, code yes, yes. to do this. So it'll give you an option saying pay with Apple Pay. And then if your phone is nearby, it'll... Right. play with it and let you pay that way. You, I, I believe you indicated you weren't having much success with that. I have been able to use Apple Pay from other apps on the phone. So that's like step one. But step two would be, yes, can I do it? So I'm just curious, the, the experience of our listeners, have you been able to get Apple Pay to work on your iDevice from your Mac? Um, I haven't so tried in, it yet. in Safari on your Mac, Correct. Just, to, just to be fully clear on this. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, I haven't, I don't think I've shopped anywhere on my Mac that, that supports it in the browser. And, and that's actually maybe perhaps what you remember me talking about, John is from the merchant side. I would love to include an Apple pay option for Mac geek app premium. Because oh, I mean, yeah. you know, here we are, right. That totally makes sense. But, uh, but it's a pain in the neck from the merchant standpoint to do it, all of that. Some of the pieces are there, but not all of the pieces. So we're we're kind of in a right. in a. And scenario then I think they offer code snippets. And when I look this up, that, that's what they offer. They offer you JavaScript or whatever language you want to use. They they include things that allegedly. Yeah, well, I'm, it, I'm, it, it's it, it code snippets fine if you're going to build your own shopping cart. No one does. 
Um, it would be right. mostly foolish to build your own shopping cart these days. <laughs> well, I mean, there's argue better. There's <laughs> argue. Yeah, exactly. Right. And trust me, I, I say this with with 19 years of experience uh, of this. There are certain things that it just doesn't make sense to build yourself. Uh, You've invented plenty of wheels over the years. I is what have, you're saying. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Um, sometimes even first. Yeah. Now, now the and 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 it still kills me that we never stopped to think after we wrote. When I say we, I'm being very kind here. I wrote the first content management system that the Mac Observer used, and possibly one of the first content management systems ever. It wasn't the first. Vignette existed before us, and it was their hundred thousand dollar price tag. Yes. $100,000 for a content management system that wasn't nearly as full featured as the freely available WordPress today. But uh, I went and met with them and they're like, yeah, well, it's only a hundred grand. And I said, well, that's, um, I don't know that my business is ever going to make a hundred grand gross total ever, uh, you know, let alone like, like in a way that I could give it to you. And they're like, well, the New York Times is interested. Like, yeah, you know, there's a million other little guys like me starting up that might be interested in what you have and you you have an opportunity. I even said that to them. Never thought about applying that logic to what we built uh, on our own. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so we built this content management system and then eventually went with something that somebody else built. And now we're at WordPress. So we're using um, WooCommerce. As our shopping cart for Mac Geek Cab Premium now, and Authorized Net uh, and PayPal as our as our payment options on the back end. Uh, Authorized Net does support Apple Pay at that level, at the merchant level, but not. Mm. But our shopping cart does not, and it's. And I've dug into it to see because we could, we could invent that particular piece of the wheel to like shove into the 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 rest of the scenario. It's all very modular and and actually really well done. But um, we've looked at it and it's like, oh, now I see why nobody else has done this yet. Okay. It's it's a pain. It's a mess is what it is. Why do you think that is? Is it the security issues that go on with the single token or is it? it the, yeah, there's, there's, you know, it, yes, that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, well. And I'm asked why, why not change our, our shopping cart software? Be, frankly, because what we're using is absolutely the best thing for us to use. Um, it's awesome. Wait, where did that question come from, Dave? Was in the chat in room. Mind? At, oh, at slash stream. Chat room here. Oh, okay. oh look that's at that. Right. But uh, yeah, that's why we don't change it because, we, in fact, we did just change it. We we changed uh, very recently, and and we were very very happy with WooCommerce. Um, it's a it's fantastic. It's well supported. The developers are awesome. So etc. Anyway. Nice. Well, glad I could just knock this off the rails right from the beginning. I know. But, um, <laughs> it's but you know, actually, I've been using as of late, like when I registered for an upcoming show, they actually said, well, pay with PayPal. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. But, but it, it essentially linked me to my credit card for, as far as I can tell, no additional costs. So I'm like, that I have registered with PayPal. I'm like, uh, okay, I guess, I guess that works. Yeah. Yeah. I never used it before until this one show where they're like, well, here's, here's the option that is probably the easiest yeah. for you. And I'm like, well, I've never done this before, but it linked to my account. And look, PayPal's awesome. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they're payments because what do they yeah. get out of it is the thing I'm, uh, I mean, as far as I could tell, there was no fee involved. It was just like, oh, well, if you want to use PayPal as your conduit, but maybe that's well, the, the merchant pays, your conduit. No, the merchant pays the fee. It's, it's, oh, okay. it's somewhere between two and a half and 3% depending on, oh. Right. How much business the merchant does? Okay, and the relationship. So everybody and all that everybody stuff. gets a piece. Okay, of course, that's the motivation. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, but that's true of MasterCard and Visa as well, right? I mean, you know, when you send us whatever it is, 25 bucks every six months or 10 bucks every every month, um, or even if you just do a one-time payment, we've had uh, several of those, you know, 100 bucks recently, 50 bucks. But we, you know, the merchant provider doesn't send us your 10 bucks a month. They send us your 10 bucks minus the, you know, the fees, which are, you know, like I said, a couple of couple of points per 2% maybe. But um, PayPal's fees in many cases are less than what we pay um, with our direct merchant account. In fact, it's we're going to keep our direct merchant account because lots of you use that and we're not going to tell you all to re-sign up another way. And also, of course, if we did and told you to all sign up using PayPal, then PayPal would like invariably Murphy's Law would say that PayPal would like start screwing us or whatever. So we're just going to leave it. But right now it costs us a whole lot more to, to have payments through through our, our regular merchant gateway than okay. does Now, what do you think of, since we're taking this unintentional, but I'd like to cover the area just because sure. I have questions to ask here. So we're, we all of a sudden went into payment system. I feel like, I'm gap. just going to say, I feel like we're entering, we're, we're like dabbling in the realm of another podcast I do called the, the small, small Business Show. The Small yeah. Business Show at businessshow.co. So I'm just going to throw that out there. If you're into this kind of stuff, Shannon Jean and I talk about it all the time over on the Small Business Show. So while we're in detour land, I might as well say right. that. The last option that I'll mention, and I still use it, and it still works with the iPhone 7, though you need the adapter, is Square. I got this years ago. They give you a free still, I think, if you want a MagStripe reader. Okay. And I can process, and it's linked to my bank account. And I think they take, and, and their their rates, I think, are, are fairly competitive. They take maybe one point for an individual who, you know, normally, I mean, I have no reason to accept credit cards, but... but Rarely do I, but they, you know, I still have the reader and it's still linked to my bank account. And I think they take one point, uh, less than 2%, but even for merchants, I think they're fairly competitive. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. And then they have the cool, I may get it. I think this you have to drop some coin for, but they have a reader that reads not only MagStripe, but also, uh, you know, Apple Pay and, and the other, and, and Chip, I think. But mm. I think you have to pay for that. I actually may want to get that just to fiddle with it. It's just a nice option is, you know, somebody stops by and they're like, hi, John, I'd like to pay you with my credit card. And it's like, oh, OK. OK. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> I can I'll, take all forms now. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all good. So, OK. Back on the tracks. Back on the tracks. And and uh, Brian Monroe in the chat room uh, it, it says stay away from PayPal or don't don't just, you know, consolidate to PayPal because they might not be around forever. And I totally agree with that. And he says, looking at Square or, or something else, well, the, the nice part is our shopping cart is totally modular and we can use anything with it. So um, so that that parts that parts good. So we, we like that's why we chose it, because we can do whatever we want. And we have even written our own thing because we migrated our uh, all of you that are our premium members. And if you want to learn about premium, of course, MacGeekGab.com slash premium. Uh, but uh, all of you that are premium members on on PayPal were those were all set up as express checkout payments with our old, old shopping cart. And the new one actually does it the right way with with true subscriptions and that sort of thing. So we did. I had to hack our 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 existing new payment gateway to allow your payments as express shopping cart payments to come in and be accepted as, as subscriptions. I mean, it didn't change anything about your payments. Uh, it's just when PayPal, PayPal just shows up at your door, you know, on whatever the day is at some random time and says, Hey, I've got a payment to, uh, to deliver to you. 
and our system was like, yeah, I don't, I don't take those. And so I had to hack it to, uh, to make it take those. Of course. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it, it was actually kind of fun. I don't want your stinking money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. So small business show, go, go listen to that. Cause we, I, as you can you tell, have to I charge like yourself advertising. Money. I like talking about this stuff. <laughs> so that's why we carved that show out. <laughs> exactly. All right. While we're talking about business, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Power Photos at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Power Photos is one of those apps that uh, really is sort of it's necessary, right? Apple built photos and it does what it does. But as soon as you want to like do anything that that gets beyond the very limited scope of photos. You can't managing your photo library. Uh, if you, if you have multiple libraries, you, you know, or if you want to take your library and split it into multiple libraries, or if you want to merge libraries together, you want to eliminate duplicates in a way better than what photos does. Uh, this is what power photos is built to do. And it just picks up right where photos left off uh, or leaves off, I should say. So you got to check it out. Uh, there's a 30 day free trial. So go to fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Uh, that'll bring you to the power photos page, but it, it brings you there in a way that they know we sent you. And that's, that's good, but it gets even better because when you are ready to buy coupon code MGG saves you 20% off of the purchase price of power photos. So you definitely incentivize to remind them how you got there by using MGG as your coupon code. Here's where it gets a little bit better. And I only say a little bit because I think most of you are already on photos, but if you are not, or if you have old iPhoto libraries and your archives that you might want to mess with someday, the makers of power photos, fat cat software also made and still make iPhoto library manager. And your power photos license is actually a bundle license that gets you both. So go buy power photos, get that for what you need and then know that by having that, you still also have a license to iPhoto Library Manager if that need ever comes up. Very, very cool stuff. Check it out. Fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG coupon code MGG saves you 20% off that bundle license of Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager. Our thanks to Fat Cat Software for sponsoring this episode. And with that, my friends... I think it's time to start talking about uh, UPSs. How's that sound? Yeah, John? Good? Cricket. Crickets? Crickets? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a UPS, what is it? Yeah, so so let's let's talk about that. Personal service. And I, I <laughs> Pete, you're not allowed. I'm sorry. Said no, no promotional. I'm going away. Yeah, One sorry. of the many fine uh, uh, carriers yeah. out there. Right. So uh I figured, you know, lightning season is about to be here in North America as spring is upon us. Of course, with the way it is, we're recording this a little bit early. I know this show's coming out on Sunday, but uh, we're actually recording it on Thursday because I'm taking a little trip with the family uh, while the kids are off of school. So uh, so today, the, at the moment that we're recording this, uh, it's like 70 degrees here in, in Durham or whatever. But um, And it's always really? lightning season in your house, Dave. And so. at my house, yeah, it's always lightning season. But, but uh, I also got to say, Dave, yeah. in that uh, I believe you're traveling to Florida. Some of the most spectacular lightning storms that I've ever seen in my life 
have been in the state of Florida. It's just- oh, oh, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and where I really learned about all this stuff was in Texas because we would get the same kind of thing and, and it would start in the spring and uh, and it'd be crazy lightning storms. And of course, we were running computer nerds at the time and the, we'd have lightning at night and in the morning we'd come in and our voicemail would be like 10 times as full as it normally would be. And it was because people's computers had fried. And that's where I started my real uh, affinity and, and usage of UPSs, uninterruptible power supply. That's what UPS stands for. So a surge protector is something you plug into your wall. Presumably, it protects you against a uh, surge of lightning and additional voltage uh, coming in or additional amperage coming in and blowing up your stuff. Some surge protectors do that. Most probably don't, to be fair. They're just glorified power okay. strips. So the assumption being to back up here is that you're supposed to get a certain voltage and a certain current through your, whether it's 120 and 60 hertz, which I think is pretty much the standard in the US or somewhere else. Right. But the power company doesn't guarantee that that'll happen. They'll do their best, but sometimes terrible things happen. You're, you're going to an extreme, but then there may also be, I think, conditions where there may be a disruption in the force. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so a, a surge And that they do their best, but something may happen where the current or the voltage are not what they should be. And then that's where you need a device. I don't, I don't want to agree unilaterally with the concept that surge protectors, all surge protectors do quote unquote their best. I, I really like many of them that I've experienced can't survive a surge at oh. all. Not, well, I think they're rated. Say, oh, I think they're rated. I think is it joules, but they're, they're, a lot of them are rated at a certain level. Okay, I can take this much of a shock. Yeah, again, that's not fail. been my experience. Okay. Most of the ones that you buy that are sold as surge protectors are just power strips with an additional price tag on them. Uh, they really, I like. They just don't protect. But a true surge protector, and there are some good ones. Somebody in the chat room said that uh, Glenn Fleischman posted a review of several up on uh, Macworld.com oh, today. Yeah, so so <laughs> we'll find that article and we'll put that in the show notes because that's that's definitely a good you know ancillary piece to what we're going to talk about here. But let's let's for the for the sake of this discussion, the defense will stipulate that there is at least one surge protector out there that might actually protect you against a surge. So let's assume that. We're talking about UPS is to protect against more than that, but they will protect against surges. And what a UPS is, is it's a battery backup for your power supplies for your computer. So you plug just like you would a surge protector or a power strip. You take your computer, your monitor, if you have a separate one, um, your printer, as long as it's not a laser printer. So we'll come back to that with an asterisk uh, and, and any of your hard drives and peripherals that you care about, your router, um, all of that stuff. And you plug each of those things into the UPS. And what happens is the UPS uses its battery to make sure that those devices uh, never have too much or too little power. And the biggest problem that we saw in Austin and that I still see to this day that Fry's Electronics is not surges, believe it or not. They can, and trust me, I've experienced it. But the thing that really tends to fry electronics is what I'll call brownouts, where the power dips very significantly for a relatively short period of time, right? If the power goes off for an hour, and then comes back on, that's actually not that big of a deal. You lose power, your computer 
just is off now because it doesn't have power. But everything gets to like power down the way it's built to. And then whatever, an hour later, a day later, a week later, depending on where you live and how bad the problem is, power comes back on. The computer says, oh, I've got power. Great. And everything's good. Everything gets to start up the normal way where it's a real problem is with what I call brownouts, where the power dips and then comes right back, like within a split second or even over the course of a second or maybe two. Uh, and it might not go all the way out, but sometimes it can and then come right back. That's when electronics start to, fly, to start to really fry because they don't get the opportunity to power down properly and then come back up. Uh, so, so that's where and, and a surge protector, no matter how good it is, can't protect you against a brownout because it doesn't have power to add to the system. Right. It can only protect against too much power, not too little. And that's why I like UPSs. So uh, they definitely can protect against this. And that's their purpose. Where it gets, and I, and I, I've talked to a, like a bunch of people that totally get exactly what I just said. And then they go to buy one and they're so flustered by the myriad array of options and confusing terminology that they simply stop. And that's the end of it. So we're here to help. Um, the question to answer is how much UPS do you need? Because when you go look at UPSs, they are all uh, advertised and marketed with volt amps. Everything that you see on a UPS uh, and, you know, on the packaging and everything talks about how many volt amps the thing can provide, not watts. And there's a reason for this because it's over time and all of that, but it gets very confusing. So you need to figure out how big of a UPS you need. How many volt amps do you need to power your device? Uh, certainly my favorite UPS brand is APC. Uh, and I honestly, these days don't recommend anything else. Uh, it's not that I dislike all the rest of them. I dislike some of the rest and I've had bad experiences with some of the rest, but uh, others I just haven't tested. I, I sort of decided uh, a while back that you, APC was the only one I was going to buy, but, but there are others out there. And if you want to take your luck, you, you're more than welcome to do so. I don't, I, I don't recommend that though. Uh, but APC has a nice little calculator on their website that will help you figure out what volt amp rating on a UPS you need, how much capacity on a UPS you need for what you have. Um, generally, you know, you're going to need to know the wattage of the devices that you're going to use. Um, so Apple provides a nice little knowledge base article that we will list uh, showing all the power consumption for your um, for IMAX. And that's really what the, what matters most, because if you're plugging a laptop in, you already know uh, it says right on the power supply how many watts that thing's going to use. So uh, and it's what, 85, I think, is the new MacBook Pros. And uh, I want to say the smaller airs might still do a 60 watt power supply. Right, John? Something like that. Right. I don't have an air, but 85 okay. sounds, sounds. No, 80, right. 85 is definitely. Well, it's, I think it's actually 86 or something. But um, but yeah, you know, right. Right in that range. Your iMac is going to go anywhere from, you know, 33 for a small iMac with a small screen up to, uh, you know, like 250 or maybe even higher, maybe even 350 for uh, an iMac with a larger screen. The Retina 5K iMac uh, maxes out at 240 watts. So uh, you want to you kind of take a look at this, and then you can go and use the, uh, the calculator on the APC site to figure out, once you know how many watts you need to power, and throw in an extra, you know, whatever, 
10 watt. I mean, your, your router and that kind of stuff isn't going to take very much power. Those are pretty low power devices. Um, laser printers generally take far too much power to plug into the battery portion of a UPS. Most UPSs have one portion that's only surge protection and then another side that's battery and surge. So you can plug your laser printer into the other side. Um, or you, I mean, you certainly can get a UPS that will have enough capacity to, to run a laser printer, but you probably don't need it. So once you figure out what you need, you plug it into the calculator. Of course, APC's site is just going to start showing you what, uh, which of their products matches what you want, but you can very easily look at those products. And if it says it's the backups 550, well, that's 550 volt amps. And it'll even tell you, you know, on this product, Based on what you said you wanted, you're going to be using 40% of its capacity. So you've got some headroom. Great. You can take that information and then go buy um, a, a UPS. And I would say go, uh, I, you know, I would say something in that generally four, 400, 450 volt amps. That's going to be on the low end, but probably enough up to, again, for one, you know, one computer system you probably somewhere between four and 600 uh, that you really need. And beyond that it, for, again, for one system, probably, uh, probably too much, but the more capacity you have, the longer that stuff can run on battery power. And that's one of the things you're going to plug into the calculator is how many Watts all the stuff is and how long you want it to be able to run on battery power before, before it runs out. Mm. Yeah. Questions, John. And that's a good point because when you're talking about this, my thought is, and I'm kind of vamping for you here, but <laughs> sure. So what is your goal with the, with a, a uninterruptible power supply? Is it to have the ability to use your computer for those precious minutes um, that friends are posting Twitter and Facebook and, and, and stuff like that? Or is the purpose maybe to gracefully let you have a bit of, use because the one thing I'd argue is that if your power is out, your communication channels are probably out as well. So, you know, that's not necessarily the case here. I, I know here we but wind up with sometimes, about, yes, about sometimes eight so. hours worth of, of, uh, 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 internet signal before, oh, okay. before that goes down. Yeah. Like in my case, sometimes uh, when we had our super storm out here, yeah, the power was out for a week. My phone line, which is an analog phone line, sure. still work though sure. because the power for that circuit was maintained. But but uh, I'm trying to lead into uh, you picking up this discussion. Is is your goal to get time on your computer or whatever devices that are plugged into to the UPC or or I'm sorry UPS or maybe the other goal, which is certainly achievable, is can you have it shut down gracefully? And I think that's the, the feature of a lot of these systems. And then I will hand the baton back to you because I think that's an important aspect of this. It's totally. not only using it, but if you're not there, well, is something terrible going to happen? Mm -hmm. Well, probably not. If you do the, if you make the right choices, right, right. No, it's true. So yeah, the, um, Right. So once you decide how long you want things to be able to run, that'll help you decide where you're going to wind up again. Something in that, you know, targeting five to six hundred volt amps is probably right now. It, as John just said, one of the goals is to let your computer shut down gracefully. Well, your computer then needs to know that it's on running on the UPS. So you want to get a UPS with a USB port on it. Really old ones had serial ports that those days are hopefully gone. Um, but then they don't all have you uh, USB ports, but a lot of them do. 
And what you do is you just connect that to your Mac, either directly to your Mac or to your you know USB hub or whatever. And with most, not all, most uh, USB-based UPSs, I know, lots of acronyms, and I'm trying to make sure I get them right. Uh, your Mac will see that. And if you launch System Preferences Energy Saver, you'll get, instead of just the power or the battery and power tab, if you're on a laptop, you'll now get a UPS tab. And what's cool is you can set w different sleep and display sleep and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you can set different parameters for those on UPS versus on power, but you also have shutdown options. And in there, it'll show you your UPS's model. And so on, on this computer in the studio here, I have a backups ES 550 G that's an APC unit and it's 550 volt amps and it's fine. I have the mixers and you know, all that stuff uh, for the, um, you know, for the podcast studio plugged in and it runs it fine. And, uh, and I have three options. I can shut down the computer after using the UPS battery for X number of minutes or, and, or I should say, these are checkboxes. So you can have all three of them. You can, I can have it shut down the computer when the time remaining on the UPS battery is five minutes or less, or actually 15 minutes or less. I, I have it set to five on mine, or I can tell it shut down the computer when the UPS battery level is below X. And I have that set to 10%. So for me, if it thinks there's five minutes or less left on the battery or 10% or less left on the battery, shut the computer down. That gives that, that makes me feel safe that, that there's going to be enough time, enough juice left in the UPS to power down the computer gracefully. And then I don't have to worry. And it's happened many times. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show where, you know, the power's gone out. We're not here. It's fine. I get here. I get back and it's all, you know, it's exactly like it should be. It's shut down properly. Nothing's funky. Everything's good. So that's the, um, that's the USB part. Um, that's that, that, you know, that to me, there's, there's two things, uh, two features on the U on the UPS that, that are important. Number one is that the USB port, uh, for exactly the reason we just discussed. And then number two is how many plugs uh, it has on each side, either the battery side or the surge protector side tech technically, uh, all of these UPSs come with uh, an equipment warranty, right? Uh, and I think APC for the general consumer level UPSs is about $25,000 worth of equipment protection. I have over the years uh, been in scenarios where I've had to use that. APC makes it super easy to file a claim. They want to know some information. Um, they want to make sure that the UPS is, you know, possibly involved. And then they'll make you sign a form saying they had no fault, but here's a check uh, because that's just standard, right? You know. And, and they're, they're really easy with it. But one of the questions they will ask is for you to draw a diagram of what was plugged into the UPS and how everything was in fair question. If you include anything in between the UPS and your device, that's not a single power cable, most likely the claim will be denied because these UPSs are not certified to be used with your random power strips and extension cords. So, if you are going to plug something in and you would like to file a claim, you need to not use a power strip hanging off of your UPS unless you want to call the company and get approval for that. No, and they will. They'll give you approval. They will consider giving you approval. Much better way to say it. Uh, but you have to have that on file before, you know, before disaster strikes. Um, and so that that yeah. can be a little frustrating because you might only have four plugs 
on the battery side of but UBS. But I get the reason. Yeah, you can only use two of them because of the way the 12, you well, know, the that's, keys, that's the yeah. other thing to look at is how far apart are they spaced? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you're. But, but I get their reasoning totally. is that once you introduce something beyond their control in the circuit, they can't really realistically right. Right. guarantee that their product will not fail because of something you did, which is yeah. something they said you shouldn't do. Right. And I'm sure it's in there. They're like, okay, you know, like you've seen these disasters, you know, in offices and stuff where people try to build their own thing, but one power strip plugged into another, plugged into another. But no, 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 no. <laughs> Yes, it works, but it's almost not what the manufacturer intended that you plug one into another to another to another. Right. No. Right. Right. Yeah, it's like suing the maker of the scissors because you ran upstairs with them in your hand. You know? Yeah. You did That's something right. they weren't designed to do. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Crazy stuff. Um, so, it, so yeah, think about that. And, and also, when you're filing the claim, make sure you know exactly what you're telling them. Um and, and, and that it can all work. So uh, the only, the only other feature of UPS is, um, well, it, it, that I think matters is whether or not it's going to protect coax and or ethernet, because more often than not, especially with a power surge, it's not the AC circuit where the surge comes in and hurts the most. It's the DC stuff. The, the direct current stuff, and that's your, oh, your like phone. Like an analog phone. Yep. Yep. Okay. Your phone lines, your Ethernet connections, and, and, so, and your coax from your cable modem. And the way I look at it is you need to protect whatever comes in from the outside. So once it's in the house, you don't need to be crazy about, about you know, reapplying surge protection to all this DC stuff. But when it's coming in from the outside, like your coax line, absolutely should be run through a coax surge protector. Um, and if, and if you have an ethernet line coming in from the outside or more commonly, although less and less common these days, like an analog phone line, then that too would be the place where you want to do that. Yeah. But even your vo VoIP phone lines are going to be set up where they're touching the outside world next to that cable. I, I they, the way they're the way they're wired in the so, way they're yeah, wired in, yeah, in, so in a want, lot of homes. That's yeah, correct. So you want, it's not uh, what is it now? It's not, you know, it's the little plug in socket yeah. is a, the little RJ11 or RJ11. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and oddly, I'm sorry you mentioned that now because now I got to go fix that. Cause <laughs> <laughs> well, but the, here's the thing. I got two thing. UPSs sitting side by side and man, all of my AC plugs are covered and, and my coax. Yeah. And so RJ11 and my Ethernet if or not. You, if, you're, if your phone and your internet run off of, let's say, your cable modem, which in most cases they would. Sure theoretically all you need to protect is the coax coming from the outside to into that the, cable into modem. the modem yeah. and then you're done yeah. unless yeah. you're plugging rj11 in and it happens because of the way your phone system is built or the, you know, your phone wire system in your house is built that if, if it happens to loop outside or something yeah. then you want to protect it me here it's a little different because i've got coax and cat5 going back and forth between the house and the office so i have to look at every one of those entry and exit points as and big red circles is seen from above target yeah. <laughs> lightning target lightning targets exactly yeah so so that's what you want to look for is, is that kind of stuff and and really you know you, you can probably wind up buying one of these that's going to serve your needs anywhere in the probably 75 to 150 dollar range i'm going to be perfectly honest with you i put ups's not just on every one of my computers but on every one of the electronics in my house that I care about every single TV we have 
is on a UPS. Um, you know, all of our home theater equipment is on a UPS. Most of our Sonos devices actually are, are on UPSs, but not all of them. I'm, I'll be honest about that. And I'll tell you, you know, um, our electronics in, in this house last a long time because in addition to, and I think it's, I think it's in part because of, of the UPSs, because in addition to all the things that we've talked about, where there's essentially these disaster scenarios, you know, brownouts, blackouts, uh, uh, surges, all that stuff that they protect against. They're also actively hundred percent of the time conditioning all the power that goes to your devices. So, you know, you, you, you know, we might call a brownout where it gets to be 50% of the power or less fine, but even if it's 2% less than what it should be, or 2% more than what it should be, the UPS is going to smooth that out. And I think the reason that our electronics last so long is in part because of that. And, and one of the, uh, the things I have a, I think we calculated it to be 14 year old, I have one of those first uh, Lucite Apple HD cinema displays that I've used in my office daily since I got it in 2004, maybe 2003. And uh, it just this week started to like one of the backlights is is flaking out on it. And so it, it owes me nothing. Don't get me wrong. It's sad to see it go. Take it to the Apple store and see if they'll cover that under warranty. I know. <laughs> I, I thought about it because it's connected to a machine that's on Apple Care. Oh, there you go. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, it, it, it would be an interesting experiment. Yeah. They don't owe me anything, you know, uh, but that's, you know, I, I think most everybody else, when I posted about that, they're like, dude, mine died like five years ago, six years ago, you know, like, no, this one, but it's, you can fix it. It's probably a flyback, flyback transformer. If it's a display, yeah. No, it's um, no, it's, it's one of the... But it's a power-related circuit. How about that? <laughs> well, sure. It's the backlight. It, there's two backlights in no, the thing. They're fluorescent. And, and, and there's one some of transformer out. there somewhere. And it, another evidence of that, too, is if you think about it, um, I talked to a repairman a, a lot, unfortunately, with a given trash compactor that we had. But, uh, you know, he came out and we were talking about different things. That's why I always buy the protection plan now on refrigerators, dishwashers, stoves, and that sort of thing. Because the guy told me, he goes, it's not the stuff that used to go. Why these things used to last 20, 25 years with no problems. It, it's the electronics, the circuit boards on these things are going. And there's no doubt in my mind, it's for that very reason. It's the brownouts, the the, yeah. the, the spikes, uh, those things just drive, the, drive it nuts. And a delicate uh, circuit board and a dishwasher that has that little touchpad on it, he goes, those things go all the time. You know, you're looking at two, three hundred bucks, you know, half, half the price of the dishwasher for one little part. Right. And and then you got to pay something. And then you got to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's why the so protection plans are worth it. But I mean, there, and there's of the course no way. Well, I suppose you could find a way to put your dishwasher and all that stuff. But that, that's taking it to the extreme, I think. Sure. But, you know, when the, the protection plan is probably cheaper than a UPS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But so, but that's why I think it is. I think you're right on that. That uh, I the, think so. The electronics are getting hit all the time with really nasty power. Uh, uh, yeah. It's just unclean. Yeah. 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 And on stage, you know, with the yeah. uh, with with the band with Fling, we have a power conditioner that we run everything off of, right? Um, you know, because I mean, first of all, it gets rid of all the the noise and the hum and all that crap, and that that actually makes a difference in in audio equipment. But um, 
But really, the most famous to me being the 60 cycle hum that you get from circuits that aren't necessarily grounded properly is my experience. I hate it when we have to run the band off of multiple circuits in a a club or whatever. And it happens a lot. Because you don't have a common ground and then things spiral out of control. Especially when you're um, when you've got one like like the mixer is sending signal out to all of these things. But if the speakers are powered speakers then that means that they each have their own amplifiers in them. And so now essentially, yeah, like you said, you've crossed circuits, you've crossed the streams and you get, it sucks. To let people know 60 cycle hum, our electricity in the United States operates at 60 Hertz with circuits that are not necessarily put together properly. You're going to hear this and it's a a low kind of rumble. That's just that annoys so many people. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's a bad sound. That's what we're talking about here. And you'll hear it. In, oh in, yeah, in, in in places where the again sixty beats per second or sixty whatever is per second is yeah. what you're hearing and it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, it's not good. I hear it if if we're not using our own system where we have our power conditioner and stuff. Even if you don't hear it in the mains or the monitors, I hear it in my ears, in my in ears, because it's you know it's just that much closer to it. So, all right, uh, a couple of tips though from you folks that uh, that knew that we were doing this today. Uh, Ken writes, he says, uh, I heard on your next MGG you were going to be talking about UPSs. He says I have APC UPSs, but I think since updating to Sierra, when I go to System Preferences under Energy Saver, I don't see the UPS tab. The only way I could fix it was to install the APC Agent app. It works a lot better than before. When I was trying to use the UPS tab under Energy Saver, I get a lot more options. And it's true. Uh, some I, I I don't have this problem, but I've heard of others that have this problem. And uh, and so you go to APC Agent dot dot. Uh, oh, crap. Where do we go for this? I always screw this up. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. How's that sound? But you're, you're going to download it from source forge. It's a, it's an open source thing and you can install it and you're, you're good to go. So thank you, Ken, for that. Cause it's always good to have an app on your Mac that, uh, that will do this. It's apcupsd.com is, is where all that's going to live. So we'll put that in the show notes. Good stuff. Yeah, John. Well, it sounds like they ha- they have their act together. I I would almost imagine that APC has an open API. Yeah, and based on what you said, they're they're the man. They're I mean, the man. They, they know well. They know what they're doing. Yep. So they got the uh, they got the guarantee. They got the units to meet your needs, and they got the software. And I, I love they what they share do. with others. Yep. Oh, I like I like seeing this page. I've never seen it before. No. Maybe I'll could. I don't know if I need. Maybe I'll just get a UPS just just because. Well, you, you, I I've mean, never needed one. I've, I've never, you've never, knock on ex- wood, you, you knock can't on wood. I have any never experience to something that a UPS. I, 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 never, I get what John's saying. They're not sexy. You know, no. you don't get them home and, and fire them up the and is, surf faster or anything like that because the thing of it. is, is totally I've right. never had, never ever in my entire life so far had a piece of electronics destroyed by a power surge that I'm, you I'm know, just of. lucky, yeah. not by a surge, but yeah, potentially by dirty power. Uh, uh, you may be correct. I mean, yeah. we don't know, yeah. right? Just like I don't, I can't know that my, the reason my monitor lasted this long is because it's always been on a UPS. But I, I you know, it's like I just look at what's the what's yeah. the difference? It can't hurt. Yeah. yeah, it can't hurt. Right? Yeah. All right. Uh, and then we have a comment from Andrew. Andrew says, uh, 
I heard you mention that you're going to talk about UPSs. Here's another perspective on the UPS from the other side of the world, down under where the weather is somewhat friendlier. I recently purchased a house with a 3.5 kilowatt of solar panels on the roof, which directly powers the house when the sun is up. I recently spent about seven grand, uh, 7,000 US dollars, to put a 5.6 kilowatt battery on the house so that not only would my house run all day on direct solar, but then run on battery overnight when the charge received during the preceding day. Batteries make sense. He says, where I live in Australia is one of the sunniest places in the world with eight and a half hours a day of, on average of spring and six and a half hours a day of sunlight in winter in full sunshine. So far, so good. He says, I remain connected to the grid in the event of a prolonged period of uh, cloud or outage. Uh, I guess cloud. That's really the only outage. The sun's not going to go out. Um, <laughs> Eclipse. Yeah, eventually. right. Well, yeah, yeah. it will eventually. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Andrew or anyone listening to this show Perhaps ever, but but certainly like right now uh, needs to worry about that. You guys aren't planning on living five billion more years. I really uh, no, okay. I'm I'm okay not living Red five dwarf. billion more years. Right. 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 Just asking. No, I'm okay with it. <laughs> right. I, I I live life pretty well. Yeah, you know, I, you I get that that this is a limited time sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Uh, Andrew continues. <laughs> now that we're done with the very very philosophical Sorry. thing, <laughs> oh, that's like wow. That's the deepest Mac Geek Kev's ever gone. There you go. Uh, thanks, Pete. Uh, remember, you're on you're on probation. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> going again. Uh, I mentioned Double secret. I mentioned to the electrician Double secret probation. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, folks. What am I doing? Uh, Andrew continues, I mentioned to the electrician that I wanted to get a UPS for my retina iMac and for my Synology disk station. He asked why. I explained, well, when the power goes off, he said, dude, your entire house is now a UPS. If the grid fails or there's a surge through the grid, your house will switch no matter what to the battery with no loss of service to any of your equipment. So uh, so it's and it's a great point that uh, Andrew makes here that sometimes your house itself is the UPS. And and this is not just solar, although certainly solar sort of mitigates uh, uh, all the things that we've been talking about here. As long as your, you know, your batteries and your power supply are doing some conditioning to make sure it's delivering a, a clean signal. But that's sort of part of part and parcel of what you get when you do solar. Um, but power companies sometimes will put these types of things in and install them in in you know, pro areas prone to these types of issues. So it is worth just being aware of what, what you've got in your house or outside your house uh, to, to address this stuff before you start buying things that you don't need. So thank you for that, Andrew. Very, very good stuff. Yeah. Speaking cool. of things you may not need, but yes. I just found this. So uh, we just had a, a listener mention a house battery. Yeah. Dude, have you seen this Tesla um, oh, yeah. house uh, house battery? Yeah, yeah. I'm so on the Tesla, list. Tesla, as many may know, they make many fine electronic vehicles, and I think the affordable one, I may want to pick one of those up. But they make a house battery. Yeah, so the, it's, it's battery. the Powerwall. Yeah and, yeah, and and they just released, I think, uh, uh, version two. Yeah, that's right. It's like, wow. But it's a, it's a house battery, so I guess you use your solar or whatever the heck to power it, and then... It powers your house. Well, it's it's like, not just solar. I mean, you can power it from or the grid. anything that can charge it, solar or otherwise. Yeah, but I guess solar kind of makes sense. So you got solar, and then it stores the energy rather than putting it back in the grid. It stores it in your selfish well, little personal battery, right? Yeah, but here's <laughs> the thing. I mean, it's not again. It 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 makes sense for people that aren't necessarily on solar for a couple of reasons. Number one. 
is if you are prone to extended power outages, keeping this battery charge to power your entire house can can help significantly. Well, right? yeah. well yeah. versus a generator, because Correct. then you got to have gas for it and you got to know how to. Right. You know, integrate it without destroying everything. And yeah, I get it. (laughs) But also where it's good is in many places, the power costs more during peak hours. And so if you if you get this Tesla thing, uh, it 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 you can either program it or maybe they even program it based on which power company you have to uh, to charge itself during the less expensive times of the day right, and right. run off the battery at more expensive times. So, yeah, no, that that's a, a I mean, that's a, a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So, it's you know, cool. Dave, um, we'll probably write them, but, um, you know, hey, Tesla, if you want to send, you know, one out for review, there maybe me and Dave and maybe Pete, we'd be glad to yeah, test, them, test them out. Yeah. I guess I could, I guess if they want to give me one. But know. I like Power the concept versus all the generator because right. I believe you have, you, but you have as a responsible homeowner that wants their house to run, you have a, a gas, right? We have a, a gasoline powered generator. It's a, it's a portable generator. It's 8,500 watts. So, I mean, it's got, it, it, it can do Run quite several a bit. circuits. Yeah. You and yeah. I have actually talked over the years about doing a whole home generator too. And I, I still want to do that. You got to get a power transfer panel in there. And, you, you know, they, no, you just got to stroke a check for about eight well, grand. Well, there's that. <laughs> that's, that's really, that's the only thing that's helped me. Back. I want to do the work myself. Cause I want to, you know, put, okay. the, put my own power transfer panel in. Then I'll come do yours. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <But> perfect. <laughs> Tell your insurance sure coming. You know what? You can experiment on mine. I don't yeah, care. It's yeah. fine. I got UPS like to protect. <laughs> but our theme is UPS, but I like extending our thinking yeah, to good. a house battery. Yeah. It just sounds like a cool kind of thing to have. That's a great idea. And then I would think it's it's relatively less of a pain in the neck versus a generator. And that, you know, when things go bad, it just, in theory, kicks in, right? That's right. Yeah, that's totally right. Um... All right, so let's um, let's migrate our way out of UPS land and talk a little bit about some of the more general questions we've got. David writes us and asks, of course, if any of you have UPS-related questions or tips and comments and all that stuff, feedback at MacGeekab.com is, is where you're going to send all that. As Dave, usual. Yes. Did you say, now Pete can help me out with this, but I think you said feedback at MacGeekab.com. We said feedback at MacGeekab.com. Isn't that right, Pete? Was that feed bag? <laughs> okay. No, I don't want to go on probation. I'm sorry. Was you that can't feedback write there. Mackie, no, you're on double secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, or premium at MacGeekUp.com if you are a an existing premium member or if you just signed up after hearing about it at the beginning of the show. So, now, on Pete, to... You screwed up. You trusted me. <laughs> I, I, of course I trusted you, Pete. <laughs> uh, all right. So... Uh, David writes, he says, uh, I was wondering if you could share with me your workflows for digitizing your movies. And when you're done, do your movies, do any of your movies look like the iTunes copies? And and the answer is yes. Happy to share. And yes, absolutely. These things look like the iTunes copies. And it's because I use the Don Melton method. Don Melton was the chief engineer on the WebKit slash Safari team. And of course, he's since retired because, you know, he probably made piles and piles of money working at Apple during that time. What's he, 30 now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, not quite. No, okay. but uh, but so but Don is obsessed 
with making his movies look like the iTunes movies. And he, it drove him crazy that you could use handbrake and get things like close, but they either wouldn't look all that great or they'd be like basically the same size as the, you know, uncompressed Matroska, you know, version, whatever that you pull off with, with uh, make MKV. So he, he dug in and he continues to dig in. In fact, just this morning, there was an update to his set of scripts. So, uh, so the Don Melton method is, is what I do. So, uh, Make MKV is the first step because you've got to get the data off of the disc. And with Blu-rays, make MKV is the way to do it. And you can go to Amazon and get like a, you know, it's like a $40 Blu-ray reader for your Mac uh, so that you can do this stuff. And it works. They work great. I'll find a link to the current version of it. It's always the same one. It's just some different company that's selling it. And it's like 40 bucks. And I'll put that in the show notes. And then you go to make MKV.com. And, uh, and of course that, you know, will get you, um, that'll, that'll get you make MKV. Uh, I will say this make MKV is technically in beta right now. And because of that, uh, you can either pay the $50 for the make MKV license, or you can choose to use the beta license, which is always posted and up to date in their forums. And we'll put a link to uh, to that so that you have uh, so that you have the choice of either paying for it or not, whatever, uh, whatever makes you feel good. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So you get make MKV and you uh, and you, you know, rip your your movie to a, a folder on your Mac. And then from there, you can start with Don's scripts. Here's the thing about Don's scripts. They are all. uh Command line based. So you're going to have to mess with the terminal to do it the Don Melton way. People have asked him if he's interested in making a version with a graphical interface, and he's not. Um, this uses it uses handbrake. It uses some other things. He's kind of built things so that the subtitles come together the right way. And it, it does all the stuff and it examines it and, and just packages it up and, and, and takes care of it. It's really not that difficult. Generally, it's one command at the line at the, the line. You just pointed at the file that make MKV pulled off and it just runs and runs and runs in the background until it's finished. So uh, and then you're done and that's it. And you've got what you need. So uh, Don Melton's method is uh, is the way to go. I I give people his script so often that I have a text expander snippet. I type comma Melton and outcome the script uh, URL. Because it's always kind of weird to find if I start Googling for it and I don't want to have to do that. So, so that's how I, uh, that's how I, I rip my movies and then they're DRM free, which means certainly I could load them into iTunes and use them that way. Or I can put them on my, you know, disc station or wherever I have my Plex library or whatever that is. They just, they're totally portable, playable everywhere. They look great. They sound great. Everything's great. Don Melton. And uh, as Alex says in the chat room, and I don't know if he he meant to be punny about this, but Alex says, what a gem. And yes, Don Melton is a gem, but his transcoding video scripts are a ruby gem. So, you know, it is quite the gem. Right, John? Yeah. No. What if you want to digitize your movies from a source other than. Yeah. No, what's the question? Uh, my question is, say you have movies on a format that's not a disc. What do you do? What, what do I mean, you what do? format are you talking about? 
uh, like film VCR. Oh, and then this is talking about a device. It, it, the 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 question was floating around in my mind because the the format in which the movie was provided in this question wasn't necessarily explicit. Then I was like, is he talking about digitizing a movie from a VCR or film or something like that? And that gets into a topic that we haven't talked about in a while, just because sure. it's less relevant. But I'm. If any of you have, yeah. I think maybe for a future episode, yeah. but if any of you have the need to digitize things that are in analog format, or I'd say more analogy, right? Like film or VCR, uh, right. how do you get them into your Mac and how do you deal with it? Of course, this is going to be a part of that solution down the road, but I'm, uh, I just remember having an interest in these products at some point. Hmm. And maybe we can bring it up at some point. All right. I'm yeah. sure there are people still... Scanning in their photos and <laughs> maybe reading their film or reading their analog formats and how do you get them digitized? I think it's just a kind of cool. Yeah, you, topic. I mean, you, in a general sense, you need to use some video capture device. I don't know what the best one is. So if um, if you do, I mean, I know there's the the Elgato. Elgato makes one for about a hundred bucks. Yes, the video capture, okay. but but I don't know if that's what. I, I mean, I just don't know. Like, does it do HD? I really don't know enough about well, it. And then you also have the problem now of, you know, how old are those videotapes sitting right. around? <clears throat> because they're probably not mm-hmm. new. You probably didn't. You yeah, know, although I guess HD the, is not really yeah, relevant. Yeah, the degradation. If we're talking about VHS. Yeah, the degradation started. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's no HD. There's um, no HD. Yeah. The sound was good on those things, but. Yeah, uh, it's true. Well, VHS is, I mean, that's 480. 480. Technology, yeah, right? That's right. So that's right. Uh, SD, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think it upscans them or anything like that. Right, <laughs> even me, you may be shocked, but even uh, I carted away all my. Did I? Yes, I did. I think a couple of years ago, I finally took all my VCR tapes, and I'm like, "Yep, I got all this content on disc. Toss right. it." Yeah. So if anybody, if anybody out there has a has a better solution than the Elgato one, please let us know. That'd be that'd be good a good piece of data to share around. Ron asks a related question. Ron says. Uh, uh, what do I do? Where, where are we here? He wants to know how to get, he says he, oh yeah, yeah. He says, I ripped uh, two instructional videos on photography that I wanted to put on my iPad running 10.2.1 before my wife and I go on vacation. So I loaded the MP4 files into iTunes and went to look for the videos app on my iPad. Now I don't watch much video on the iPad. So I imagine my surprise when there was no video app, but the TV app is there. Um, I also couldn't find the videos in iTunes. He said some Googling told me they were under movies, home videos. I made two playlists and synced to my iPad. No luck, no videos anywhere. No change in the amount of space used. I found all sorts of solutions, but what worked after much fiddling around was converting the videos in get info to TV shows in the options panel. I unchecked movies from my iPad and resynced TV shows. And finally they showed up no playlists, but at least they were all there. It's hard to believe that it's this hard to get videos onto an iOS device. I'm sure there are other ways. What are they? Yeah. Ooh, pick me. Pete, <laughs> sure. Go ahead, man. Go. I got two favorite methods. One is uh, I'll put them in MP4. Okay. And then and I share this with guys all the time because it's one of my favorite apps at work. Yep. It'd be for marking up my flight plans and that kind of stuff. Good reader. Uh, Remember, Goodreader opens almost any file you can throw at it, including um, video, m- m- dot move, MP4, all that stuff. So I will transfer them either via um, uh, 
USB cable yep. or airdrop them, those sorts of things. My other favorite method along those lines, and then I'll be quiet, is uh, Plex. Yes. Put the Plex app on there. Now, I did buy some time back. I bought the Lifetime thing for Plex so yep. I can download my videos onto my iOS devices. But Plex is fabulous. It's great for syncing. It'll mark it as watched. If you put it away, it'll pick up where you left off. So those those are my two favorites for for video on the iOS devices. Now Plex was on my list. I hadn't yeah. forgotten about Goodreader, which yeah. is funny because I I think I said those exact words about uh, two and a half months ago in this show when somebody recommended Goodreader for something else. I was yeah. like, oh, that's right, it does that. Yeah. Um, I have two two ways of getting your movies on. One is a piece of software called Walter W A L T R from Softarino.com. And this is probably the closest thing to what this guy wants, because what Walter does is you either plug in your phone or you do it over Wi-Fi. In most cases, plugging it in is probably going to be faster, uh, but whichever you run Walter and all it does is it come up, comes up with a little interface that says drag a movie here, or you can choose to navigate to a movie. And when you drag the movie there, it copies it over to your iPhone and puts it in the TV app right away. That's it. No additional fanfare nothing walter just pumps it over there and it's kind of magic because it'll copy all kinds of different things over uh it you know it it will let you copy movies that your phone wouldn't uh wouldn't do you know it'll take avi files it's just literally drag and drop over it goes walter's been out for a long time uh, i think we've got a review of walter going up on uh, walter 2 going up on mac observer today but um but it's a great piece of software to do this. It just makes it oh, like, yeah. it's like magic. Yeah. It's awesome. So Walter is, mm -hmm. is definitely one. And then um, the other one on my list is from, uh, from Infuse uh, from Firecore called Infuse and, uh, and Infuse does kind of the same thing, but you're running an app on your iPhone to, to run it. And, uh, but it does a great job at playing things and, pulling files from anywhere. So infuse five on your iPhone or iPad or your Apple TV is uh, another way to, uh, to do this stuff. So those are mine. Those are my two to add. How about you, John? Yeah, I yeah. just got one. Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, there's more. I mean, it's good that there's more uh, VLC for mobile. Oh yeah, yeah man. Free. Come on, you guys. VLC free. I got it online. E yep. Yep. So for people that don't know, VLC is like the universal, almost, and and they've had issues trying to get it in the app store because I think they were being bad or whatever. Yeah. But um, it's both on on Mac and uh, iOS. It's free. Yeah. I, I believe it's still open source, and uh, I found when other players wouldn't play it, VLC kind of figured it out. Totally. So, uh, so there you go, and we'll uh. I'll, I'll pop that in somewhere there but uh yeah it's a, a as far as i can see it's in the app store right now and it is uh, yeah and it's worth the, oh good find man yeah good stuff oh you already pasted it Look i did you. i'm a dude i'm a machine cool, here thanks Bring zoom boom um all right jumping to terry terry asks he says uh, i'm having a weird mouse problem that i can't figure out i have a macbook pro running el capitan when I'm using my magic mouse, frequently the left click will stop working. Other functions such as right click and gestures continue to work fine. I finally figured out that if I just touch the built-in trackpad, then the left click starts working again. But the problem always comes back within a few seconds or minutes. 
I have the checkbox tick to ignore built-in trackpad when mouse or wireless trackpad is present. Good. He says the problem doesn't happen when I'm using my external trackpad, only the magic mouse, but it also happens with a Logitech mouse as well. Any ideas? I do have an idea because the only time it doesn't happen is when you're using your external trackpad, but your magic mouse and your Logitech mouse seem to have this problem. So I don't think there's anything wrong with your magic mouse or your Logitech mouse. I think something might be resting on your trackpad. I've seen this before personally, where I've had like a book on my desk or something and it, you know, it just like nudges the right way and it sits on the trackpad and I can't left click. I can right click. I can do everything else. If that's not the case, then it's possible you have a, a malfunctioning, uh, you know, magic trackpad that's just keeping that click down. But, um, but that, that would be the first thing I would check. I would actually unpair everything from your Mac, except for your magic mouse and see if the problem uh, persists. So. Sure, I was going to guess interrupt conflict, but. Oh, nah. <laughs> oh, don't get all fancy pants on us. Though I will, uh, I, I will build on what but, you said there, Pete. Yeah, I'm with you there. in spirit. Um, now this, the, the, it was magic mouse, right? Are, are we talking mouse. all wireless devices here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, make sure you don't have a USB three hard drive nearby. Those Does that interrupt document. Bluetooth too? Uh, yes. Okay. So the problem with USB three hard drives, and we'll link to the article. I've I've, I've seen it come up in my. Huh? I don't know what you're going to call it, but um, no, the thing is USB three. Okay. Here's the brilliant part about USB three. It operates at five gigabits per second. Now, if you convert that to a frequency, that's five gigahertz. Well, what's a harmonic of five gigahertz? Uh, 2.4 ish. Ooh, guess what's on that frequency too? The, the, no, this is a known issue. Yeah. Make sure you don't have any USB three peripherals nearby because that interferes with 2.4 gigahertz communication. I'm hoping when they come up with USB USB four, Dave, that they don't pick a harmonic yeah. of a known frequency used yeah. for other RF devices. I still can't believe that they did this with USB three. It's like, gee, could, all right, all the I mean, engineers get out sense. of the room. We're going to design USB three now. No, I mean the thing is, I mean it kind of makes sense. They're like, gee, let's come up with the standard that's twice as fast. No, it's not even twice as fast. What am I saying? It's just. They didn't faster. realize that five gigs would interfere with 2.4. Nobody thought of that. Mm. It's like, gee, maybe we should have chosen a different frequency or throughput, like six gigahertz or six megabits per second, whatever. I feel like if if uh, if if USB three was the problem, though, this wouldn't be isolated to just. Um, oh, just the mouse. Well, or it, it would it would impact the trackpad as well as <laughs> right, right, both right. of the mice. Right. But, 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 you know, maybe the trackpad, you know, like me at my desk, I have one trackpad to the right and one to the left. And, uh, I mean, and I, I flip flop back and forth when, uh, when one hand gets tired, I I'll use left-handed mouse yeah. trackpad for a couple of weeks. And then I go back and forth. The only other thing I think of that I personally experience is when trackpads of any sort, uh, are introduced to humidity or moisture. Sometimes they stick. Yeah. I've had, I definitely, I had this happen on one of my machines where I liberally, uh, unfortunately applied a, uh, cleaner. And then I think I closed the machine, you know, I put, put it, not realizing what I do. And then as it turns out, what I did is I trapped the moisture and it created havoc mm. with the trackpad huh. for 
for quite a long time until the whole thing dried out. I think I actually used a fan, maybe some other unapproved methods of yeah. trying to get the moisture out of that thing. No, but, that, that could be it. pads and uh, most touch surfaces, yeah. if you get moisture trapped in them, they can do all sorts of bizarrely inexplicable things. And, that could and be it's it. really just moisture because they operate in a, uh, I think the latest in a capacitive fashion. And if you get moisture involved in a capacitive yeah, uh, technology. Uh, sometimes we're. Uh, I've I've seen it. I've I've seen my cursor jump around inexplicably because there was moisture on the trackpad. It's like no, I'm I believe touching you. it. <laughs> All right, cool. Moving on to uh, to Kirit here. Kirit writes. Uh, I have an iCloud account and I have mail syncing on two computers and several iOS devices. Recently, I noticed that one mailbox is blank on my desktop iMac, but is correctly populated on my MacBook Pro and on the web. Uh, how do I fix this corruption? My guess is the simple fix is to highlight that mailbox on the computer that's showing it as blank. Go to the mailbox menu at the top of the screen and choose rebuild. Generally, that will rebuild the mailbox by pulling down all the contents uh, from the IMAP server again. And usually that's enough. If it doesn't fix it, then you might might need to uh, run something like Onyx to wipe and force a rebuild of your mail envelope index. But I think just the rebuild of that mailbox would do it. That's generally enough. And it's a handy little command. That's just, it's sitting right there. And most of the time, none of us need it. And sometimes we definitely need it. So very cool stuff. You just mentioned Onyx. Is that still out for Sierra? I don't think yeah. I've downloaded it in like two operating yes, systems. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I missed using Onyx to, yeah, keep no, myself running lean, clean, and mean, dude, so to speak. You got to come back more yeah, often. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. All right, and then uh, finally, let's let uh, let's let Jeff read us through this last one. Hey, what's going on? I got a 27 inch iMac, 2011. Um, it won't boot into any anything. It won't boot into safe mode. It won't boot off the CD with the Snow Leopard, won't boot off a USB bootable Sierra uh, thumb drive, won't go to recovery mode, internet recovery, safe mode. It just won't go anywhere. It stays on a blinking question mark folder. Um, tried multiple hard drives. I, I, I can't get anywhere with it. Um, my phone number is. Oh, all right. We'll cut you off there. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. I had the same reaction you did, John. Uh, and of course this stuff is impossible to, to truly know from remote here, but my initial thought is, um, resetting both the PRAM and the SMC, uh, because there's not much else to do <laughs> up until the question mark. Right. I mean, maybe disconnecting, and this requires opening it up, but but if there, if the hard drive is truly toast, it's possible that it's it's causing interference with the boot process. So you've got to like unplug the hard drive. But I, an SMC is way easier. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's it's easy to Google. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Google yeah. Yeah. It, you know. Yeah. For your model and. Yeah, yeah, we'll put a link well, in the notes. That, that probably yeah, you can't Google it because this machine won't boot. But right, you know. Well. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, my opinion is it's toast. But 
Well, now if he's getting I'm, a I'm sorry flashing to let you question down. mark, right. there's firmware but, in there that's working. Right. So the thing is, yes. All right. So what does the question mark mean? The question mark means I can't find anything that I consider suitable to boot from. So right. that's what that means. That, and that's to me, that feels like a pretty you, you've marched pretty far down the path. Yeah. Like, the, there, the there's machine's a still functional to yeah. some level. Now, engaging the startup manager, which I believe he said he did, which is when you hold down the option key, should show you all bootable devices. Now, the thing is, the machine could be stuck in a state where it's stupid and thinks that it should boot from a device that no longer exists, which is why you would see that question mark. Right. But booting in the startup manager should show you all eligible devices. So even if the machine is confused as to which thing it should boot from and it's not there, doing that should work. So the fact that it doesn't kind of concerns me that there's more damage than just the boot drive and that. Well, that's why SMC is, is my thought. And SMC sometimes, yeah, power related or boot related issues. And then the PRAM, you know, just for kicks. Yeah. Um, But I'm with you. It's just a disturbing when a machine is in that state because you know, it can do more. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, John in the chat room says uh, it could be an issue with the data bus on the motherboard, which certainly is possible. I mean, it, I think if an SMC reset doesn't work I, again, I, I would think that one thing to try is, as I said before, unplug the hard drive just to isolate that. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, at that point, and, yeah, it's probably a motherboard then, thing. Then you've got a mighty fine doorstop. Yeah, but it might be. I mean, yeah. 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 And also, just not that I ever even suggested such a thing here, but what some people have suggested that giving it a good whack. Oh, dope. oh no. If the drive yeah. won't spin, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like SMC is your thing. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's different for every every model. Most of the time with IMAX, it's power yeah. it down, pull power, right? Wait Unplugged. fifteen seconds, mm-hmm. plug power back in, start it up. Generally, but each model could be different from that. The, the only reason I mentioned whacking it is I was the other day in a bottle return room in a uh, local store, and all the machines were saying out of order, out of order. And this one guy walked in and saw this happening and literally took his fist, hit the machine, and the screen went from error to in service. That's why I'm saying sometimes uh, uh, physical violence sometimes is the only answer. Well, I mean, that to me would... would Physical agitation of the the, uh, uh, malfunctioning device sometimes can't hurt and may help. Sometimes makes you feel better (laughs) to be judicious in your use of such force. Well, I mean, it, it, what you're looking to do it at that point, and my, I'm sure is, is what's going on with, with what you saw is there's uh, either a loose connection or a cold solder. Oh yeah. There was a sensor saying something's wrong and he hit it and the sensor. Yeah. Yeah. Said everything's good. (laughs) No, when you, when you talked about it being the cable, if he's putting in, Another system via USB or whatever. You saying that cable could still possibly be interfering? Well, look, anything's possible. Well, sure, right? Okay. And it's—I don't yeah. think it's necessarily the cable, yeah. but it could be. But yeah. if the hard drive is, you know, just barfing data out the bus, gotcha. Somehow, okay, sure. Uh, I mean, like, again, we're 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 getting into Not, let's try anything yeah, territory. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, but but guys, I but so give it a good smack, Jeff. I've seen I've seen that fix things. It's like okay, yes. well, well, guys, remember remember Fonzie? And yes. the, uh, the he fixed box. everything that way. That's right. 
you hit it and it plays your favorite song. I mean, that's it. Yeah. It could be better than that. That's how it was supposed to be. And we won't probably won't play your favorite song. No, but, but we'll we play could... we'll play a song that your favorite band has heard. No, no, no. That's what I say on stage. Never mind. Whenever somebody has a request. But we may my play one. one of your favorite podcasts. That's right. There you go. But this uh, is the sad portion of the podcast because it's over. It's over. It's okay. There's a lot of information packed in here. You, there gotta, you go. People need to digest, man. It's all good. 224-888-GEEK is the phone number you can call. And John Geek is? 4335. But that is not the only way you can reach us. We already told you the emails. Correct. What else is there? Um, Facebook. Facebook.com slash Facebook. That's the easiest way to get there. Great group. Uh, man, it's um, it's all I can do to keep up with what goes on in there. It's great. So There's much great discussion. Yeah. Uh, so many yeah. good people. Oh, it's great. So thank I'm you. I'm not on Facebook often. When I am, I go in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's Just like stuff. you sound like a beer commercial, man. Oh, no, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I do. <laughs> thanks, everybody in the Facebook group. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, all of our premium listeners that uh, wrote and called in. Uh, Curate was one. Ron, uh, Andrew, Ken, and Graham. I, and I don't think I missed anybody, but I might have. And if I did, Terry, I'm sorry. So, uh, also thanks to Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Of course, Fat Cat Software in the podcast marketplace at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, where you can get 20% off of Power Photos. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Barebones software at barebones.com. GoDaddy, where MGG30 saves you 30% on any new purchases. And, of course, Blue Apron. BlueApron.com slash MGG, where you get your first three meals for free. It's tasty and it's fun. I love it, actually. Pete, it's been a long time, my friend. So, uh... What do you have to say? So I don't get suspended again. When I get out of here, I'm going to make sure that I don't. And don't you either. Don't get caught. (laughs) Made up.